Take your Bibles, if you would please, and turn me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15. Matthew, chapter 15, is where I'd like to direct your attention this morning. We're going to read from the uh, first 20 verses. Uh, for a while, as we were our uh, uh, construction project was coming to an end, I encouraged you one Sunday to uh, see what you could notice, if you could notice what was new uh, that week, as we were always adding something. Uh, one significant thing we're going to be adding sometime in the next few weeks, I think, is signage. So there'll be a lot of signage in the building to help you uh, find your way around, especially those who are visiting. That's coming. Then, uh, but one other game you can play is to see, uh, are, the pews any, are the chairs any closer to them than they were last week? You can play that game. Uh, they were last week, not this week. Uh, and just wait for what Easter surprises might happen <laughs> next Sunday. So we'll see what the Easter bunny brings. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. The disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And he replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both of them will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parables to us. Just, just one more time, one more time. Are you still so dull, Jesus asked. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of, out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them? For out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. You have an extension to do this, but it is still tax season. Some of you have already finished. Some of you are in the process of gathering together all of your documentation and getting an opportunity to sit down with your accountant or open the appropriate website on your computer and fill out your forms. I used to do my taxes myself until a financial advisor pointed out to me that I was overpaying. It's funny, if you underpay, the IRS will contact you. If you overpay, they don't at all. They don't even send you a thank you note. It's just they take it and it's gone. I remember years ago when I would file my own taxes, uh, it, was a long, it was long enough ago that I went to the post office to pick up the 1040 book, and I'd bring it home, and uh, I enjoyed it. Apparently, I was not good at it, but I enjoyed it, 
It was, it was, it's like a giant math puzzle with reading comprehension and logic uh, uh, thrown in. And you have to work your way through all the instructions. And, and, and I can tell by the look on some of your faces that some of you love it and the rest of you are sane. So uh, um, um, you have to work your way through it very carefully. And, and I, would, I would fill it out first, all my forms in pencil, and then I check everything and then go over with pen and, and make a copy and gather all my forms and put them in the right order, put them in an envelope and mail it off with my check to the IRS. And I would say, as it went in the mail, done for another year, IRS, I hope I never hear from you again. I have followed your rules. I have filled out your forms. I have performed my duty. You leave me alone. You stay in Washington, D.C., and I'll stay here in Lancaster, and that's the sort of relationship that I want to have with you. It's probably okay to have that sort of relationship with the IRS, but what if that's the sort of relationship that you have with your brother? I have followed the rules. I have performed my duty. I have uh, 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 stayed in my lane. You stayed in your lane. We'll leave each other alone other than that, and everything will be just fine. Your home may be peaceful under those conditions, but it's not going to be very warm under those conditions. A relationship that is just rules and duty, a personal relationship between siblings or between friends or between uh, spouses, a, a relationship that is just rules and duty is not a healthy relationship. In chapter 15 of Matthew, Jesus interacts with some Bible teachers and some devout laymen who have a relationship like that, an unhealthy relationship like that with God. And this passage tells us about that, the consequences of that sort of anemic faith. We've been working through the book of Matthew, and you remember how Matthew, what Matthew wrote for, what he's trying to accomplish. He wants his readers to know more about the Lord Jesus, and he wants them to understand what it means to follow him. This is a book about disciple-making. All of the readers of this book are being made disciples as they hear and see what Jesus has commanded. And we are also involved in the disciple-making process as we use what we learn to help other people follow Jesus. One of the specific questions he had in mind, Matthew had in mind, was the question that people were asking, how do we who are not Jews follow Jesus, the Jewish Messiah? How, how does that work? And Matthew, this section is one of those sections that tries to help us. In fact, these a few chapters here, Jesus is uh, distinguishing himself more and more from the Jewish religious leaders and appointing his followers in a new way. This passage warns us, too, it tells us in this disciple-making process one of the ways not to go in following Jesus. I use Google Maps occasionally on my computer if I'm going to go somewhere that I don't know where, where I'm going. I enter the address in and, and Google Maps will tell me how to get there. Uh, it will tell me, how, give me uh, the, the best route you can go with the best time and best distance. Here it is. And then it gives me another option. Isn't that nice? Two routes that I can take. Google Maps is wise enough not to tell me the 98 ways not to get to where I'm going. Actually, there's... 198 ways. There's 1,098 ways not to get to where I'm going. And Google Maps is very wise in not telling me how not to get there. But Matthew, Matthew is wise in that at least in this one instance, he tells us how not to follow Jesus. I think he told us this because he knew about the temptations that we would face 
the temptation that, that the Pharisees and these teachers of the law lived out. What I want to do this morning is I want to talk about these two things, two things I want you to show you from the text. We're going to talk about, first of all, the way not to go. How did they get it wrong? What did they do that was wrong? And this is a danger for us, and that's why Matthew warned us about it. And then secondly, we're going to talk about the consequences of, not, of, of going that way. The concept, what happens, what, what you miss, what, what you lose, the dangers of going the wrong way. I want you to, if you are engaged in telling someone, teaching someone else about what it means to follow Jesus, whether it be your kids uh, over the dinner table or your Sunday school class or your Awana club or your Bible study, I want you to be very clear with them about what it means to follow Jesus and what it does not mean. And here Matthew helps us. So let's begin here, the way not to go. And I want to summarize the problem that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law here uh, said this way. Uh, uh, the way not to go, Matthew says, is by reducing your relationship with God to rule keeping. This is not the way to go. Don't reduce your relationship to God with God to rule keeping. Don't interact with God as if he's the IRS or PennDOT or the Manor Township Water Management Committee. Let's meet these rule-keeping antagonists. Uh, we've met them before. Actually, verse 1 tells us that Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus. They came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Now, we're familiar with Pharisees and teachers of the law. Teachers of the law are professional Bible teachers. They teach the Bible professionally. Pharisees would be laymen. They'd have other jobs uh, as uh, carpenters and, and uh, tent makers or, or whatever. They'd have other jobs. But they were well-known in the... Uh, uh, in, in Palestine here for their faithfulness to the commands and the traditions. And they come, the text says they came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, of course, the capital city. It's the holy city. It's the holy place filled with holy people where they make holy decisions about holy things. They, uh, this is the equivalent of someone saying to Jesus, I'm telling mom, and they go to Jerusalem. <laughs> and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law come to Jesus. They uh, were not vacationing in Galilee and just happened to meet him. No, they come very specifically to him and they want to confront him and they want to confront him about the tradition of the elders. The tradition of the elders was a large collection of material that had accumulated over the years about how the number of ways to apply God's law. This is a tradition that was born out of love the Israelites, the Jews, passed on to the people. It's like the three or four hundred years to follow the law, they made a lot of commands, a lot of tradition, law, and, and violated. And, and the, the traditions, oh, they grew and grew and grew and grew. And by the time of Jesus, commands and little applications. And for many people, this was the full extent. Of teachers of the law are coming up to Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, you are a bad disciple maker because your disciples don't follow the rules. You make bad disciples, Jesus. Jesus responds to them, and at first, he doesn't respond directly to them. Instead, he talks to them about their rule-keeping ways, the consequences of reducing your relationship with God to rule-keeping. We're going to talk about three of them here this morning as, as we uh, talk about what happens when you go that way. First, you will miss the mark of God's commands. 
You miss the mark of God's command. It's going to appear up on the screen any minute. You miss the mark of God's commands. What happens here is that the elders and the the teachers thought that by adding their rules, they were honing in on God's commands, that they were making God's commands easier to follow, that, that they were making God's commands better. They thought they were honing in, and they weren't. They were actually veering off. I'll show that to you in the text. The second, uh, the second just in, as we think about this, some of you read this passage, and, and you like passages like this when Jesus sticks it to the Pharisees. Because some of you, there's inside of you, there is a rebel. And you don't like rules and traditions. And when Jesus sticks it to the Pharisees, you like those passages. Because these stuck-up fundamentalist snobs need to have it stuck to them every now and then. Right? You kind of like that? You should notice in this passage that Jesus' standards are not lower than the Pharisees. They're higher than the Pharisees. You think, if we could just get rid of these terrible traditions and these awful rules, then we would be happy and free. Jesus wants you to be happy and free. He wants you to be happy and free, not because your standards are lower than the Pharisees, but because your standards are higher than the Pharisees. Jesus makes a case. He makes a case Listen, your traditions actually turn people away from God's commands, not toward them. And he makes his case by appealing to the fifth commandment, which he quotes in verse 4. God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. God's pretty serious about this, honoring your mother and your father. Don't do it. You'd be put to death. It's worth thinking about this for just a minute because our young adults are being discipled by our culture in thinking that their chief role at this point in time is to resist their parents. You need to rebuke your grandma because your grandma is a racist and a sexist and a homophobe and that's the worst thing about her and you need to yell at her and tell her how she's wrong and, and fix her, correct her, because she's, she's evil because of her racist and sexist and homophobic beliefs. Now, I'm not in favor of racism or sexism or homophobia. I don't think we should be racist or sexist or homophobic. Uh, but uh, Jesus certainly cuts the head here off of that sort of generational superiority that, that I can, that I, it's my duty to correct my seniors, because they're not as enlightened as I am. Oof. Well, now here's the Pharisees. Here's how the Pharisees were getting around this. Here's the command from God, honor your father and mother. The Pharisees had a tradition, a rule, that said that a person during their lifetime could say, all of my possessions, I give all of my possessions to the temple. Mark refers to this by its, uh, in the parallel passage in the Gospel of Mark, he refers to this by its law, the Korban laws. I dedicate all of my possessions to the temple. And the way this rule worked is you then would hold on to what you owned and you would use it to meet your needs. But when you died, all of your money went to the temple to take care of the temple. And part of the rule was you couldn't use your money to help anybody else. So someone had a great financial need. They came to you and, and, and you, they said, hey, can, can you help? No, I can't because I have dedicated all of my possessions to the temple. And if your parents, when they could no longer work, 
and there was no Social Security and no IRAs and no 401ks, and they had no means of support, if they came to you, as would be normally expected, they would come to you and say, we need help. No, I cannot help you because I have dedicated all of my possessions to God. And the Pharisees would stand and applaud. That's wonderful. wonderful. Um, there's some people who think that the Pharisees are being a little sneaky here. You hang on to your possessions and you use them for all of your needs throughout your whole life. And when you die, you don't need your possessions anymore. They'll go to the temple. And guess what? You get to keep it all for yourself. You don't have to help anybody else, especially your parents who are trying to mooch off of you. Is this a sneaky way that they had of trying to keep their money to themselves? Jesus says, you by your rules, you by your rules are commanding people to violate the commands of God. And Jesus calls this hypocrisy. He says you are honoring God with your lips, but not actually honoring him in your heart. You are missing the mark of God's commands and you're using your rules, your traditions as a cover to do so. This focus on rule keeping means that there's a very good chance that instead of getting closer to God's commands, you actually are moving further away from God's commands. I'm in favor of rules and traditions. I think rules and traditions can be great as long as you remember what rules and traditions are for. And in this instance, rules and traditions, this instance, as in others, rule keeping ways can veer you away from God's commands, not toward. Let, let me give you a couple examples. Some of you have a rule in your house, and it's probably a good rule to have in your house, about the rating levels of entertainment that comes into your house. So you, you only watch television shows or movies, or you only play video games, you only listen to music of a certain rating. Can't be war it can't have explicit content warnings on it. it can't, it's got to be, can't be R, it could be PG-13 maybe, and, and it can't be TVMA. It's, it's got to be better than that, lower than TV-14. Then you, then you can watch it, and it's okay. Here's the rule. We only, we, we only watch PG movies. We only watch PG movies. We can watch any PG movie we want to, but we only watch PG movies because that's the rule. And you don't, once you have the rule, you follow the rule, you don't spend time thinking about how much time you're spending watching PG movies or whether or not anybody who's on the screen that you're watching cares a whit about Jesus. You, never, you don't have to stop and ask yourself if this movie is making you love Jesus more because you're following the rules. You don't have to worry if it's feeding greed or envy or some other type of sensuality because you're following the rules. Or think about perhaps um, giving, tithing. Uh, churches sometimes talk about the importance of giving 10% of your income. Uh, most followers of Jesus actually give 2 or 3% of their income. I don't think that, that that's not true in our congregation. We have a bevy of very generous people in our church. Let's say you give my 10%. You give my 10% and the other 90% is mine. I can do with it what I want. And I don't have to respond to any other appeals for help and I don't have to uh, uh, think... Um, uh, about what I'm spending my money on because I've given the 10% and the rest is mine and I can do what I want and I follow the rules 
so I don't have to think about, uh, again, covetousness and greed and envy in my own heart because I follow the rules. Rule-keeping can be a way of missing the mark of God's command. Rules tend to thin out God's commands, and the Bible wants to have a thick influence in your life. God wants all of you. He doesn't want your rule-keeping strength. He wants your whole heart, your whole mind, all of your strength, all of you. Now, we're going to move on, but just as an aside here, just real briefly before we move on, some people have taken this passage and and thought wisely about what it might say about how we use our money to help those in need as opposed to uh, what we might use to support the temple. Or, well, this question came up when we were thinking about our building project. We just spent a lot of money uh, on to uh, expand and renovate our building, and our building is beautiful. But we, we wrestle, we, you think about this, every dollar we spend on paint or carpet or uh, lights in this place is a dollar that's not going overseas to the mission field or a dollar that's not helping someone who is in poverty. <laughs> Responsible churches think about those things. I, um, you should be encouraged. You should be encouraged. Now, I don't want to make you feel guilty of sitting in this beautiful building, right? You should be encouraged that in our nearly 47-year history as a congregation, our track record has been that we spend about half as much as most congregations on our building and twice as much as most congregations on missions, which is not, of course, a, a pride for us. We are always asking this question, what can we give away and what must we keep? This passage might help us think about that. The other thing that I want you to notice before, before we move on here uh, is um, notice how Jesus par- uh, uh, contrasts their tradition with God's commands. This exp- is another reason in the Bible why when we gather together on Sunday mornings in particular, we, we move systematically through books of the Bible because we do not elevate human teaching above Scripture. We work through the Bible because we want to hear God's commands and not human wisdom and not human traditions and not human ideas. We want to hear what God has to say. So our practice, we're in Matthew 15. Next time we're in Matthew, we'll be in Matthew 16. Not quite. It'll take us forever to get there. But we're, getting, we're moving there. We're moving there. All right. Uh, let's move on. What happens when you, uh, when you reduce your relationship with God to rules? You miss the mark of God's command. Secondly, you will be unable to respond to the authority of Jesus. You'll be unable to respond to the authority of Jesus. Notice in this passage, the Pharisees are having this conflict. Their rules are in tension with the authority of Jesus. Their rules are in tension with the authority of Jesus. Actually, you should maybe wonder when you read this passage about whether or not Jesus is in tension with Jesus himself. Um, Keep your finger in Matthew chapter 15 and turn back with me for a minute to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, verse 37. Jesus says in Matthew 15, your rules, Pharisees, They're not right. You are giving your money to the temple and you're not supporting your parents. And that's not right. But look what Jesus had said in Matthew 10, verse 37. Matthew 10, verse 37. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So, you say, can you say this respectfully? Jesus. So let me get this straight. The Pharisees can't make a rule that says it's okay to give your money to the temple and not to your parents, but you, can't, you, 
you, Jesus, can demand that people love you more than they love their parents. Is that how this works? And Jesus says, absolutely, that's how this works. Why? Jesus has authority that the Pharisees do not. Jesus can claim your loyalty in ways the Pharisees cannot because Jesus is supreme. Uh, Christianity is not primarily making and following rules. It is a life of following Jesus. He's at the center, and he has the authority above and beyond your own authority. We see that, that this conflict of authority that comes in particular in verse 11. Jesus here is setting a timer on a bomb that's going to explode in the book of Acts. He Remember the issue that the Pharisees came to him about? It was about uh, washing hands, ceremonially washing hands, and you're, uh, you want to have clean hands that eat your food so you're not defiled. Jesus comes and he says in verse 11, he up, upends the Old Testament food laws. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Read Leviticus 11, you're familiar with this. The Jews had rules about what they could and could not eat. There were clean foods and unclean foods. They couldn't eat uh, pork. They couldn't eat shellfish. They couldn't eat uh, rabbits. They couldn't eat things that I wouldn't want to eat. They couldn't eat bears, and they couldn't eat your cat, and they couldn't eat uh, vultures. I mean, there's a long... There's, you read Leviticus 11, and most of it makes you go, okay, that sounds good, until you get to the no bacon part, and then, oh, lamentations. But anyway, <laughs> anyway... Jesus, what's he doing in this passage? He's upending those laws. He's undoing them. No wonder the Pharisees are offended in verse 12. And no wonder the disciples are, are kind of confused in verse 16. Remember, the law of Moses pointers that point ahead to Jesus. And Jesus is here. He has fulfilled them. They have uh, th those commands. The purposes of those commands have been fulfilled. And he's declaring food clean, all of it. They're unable to deal with this claim. It, in their defense, it takes the disciples a long time, not until the book of Acts chapter 10, do they really understand what, this, what, what Jesus is saying here. He's, he's making a claim about the law of Moses and how it's been fulfilled in him that is astounding. And the Pharisees can't respond to this authority because it's not part of the rules. They've forgotten what rules are for. What are rules for? What are traditions for? The point of traditions and the point of rules is clearing the way so that you can see the beauty and magnificence of the Lord Jesus. That's what rules are for. Rules and tradition should, are, are there to help you so that you can see the glory of the Lord Jesus. Uh, some of you, most of you, I imagine at some point in time in your lives have been to Longwood Gardens. You should go to Longwood Gardens. It's a beautiful place to go. And you look at beautiful flowers and, and beautiful uh, plants, and it's just magnificent. And Every now and then, along with gardens, the places they deem it appropriate and necessary, they'll put a, a couple poles and a little chain. And the chain is there to keep you from stepping all over their beautiful landscaping and, and ruining some of the plants and plantings and flowers because you're there to admire the plants and flowers and, and be inspired and in awe by them. 
and, and the chain is just, just there to move the crowds through appropriately and help you admire the beauty of the, the flowers and the plants. No one goes to Longwood Gardens to look at the chains. No one lo- goes to Longwood Gardens to admire the chains. No one takes a picture of the chains and, 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 and poses with the chains. They're there to look at the flowers and the plants. Reducing your relationship with God to rules is like chain management. And you're missing out on the glory of the Lord Jesus. That's what rules are for. They're supposed to point to him and, and, and show, showcase his excellence and his glory. The Pharisees, because they have reduced their relationship with God, can't respond to Jesus because all they can see are their rules. They have no relationship with God. They have no awe. They have no wonder. Now, number three, let's talk about the third consequence here of uh, reducing your relationship with God to rules. It masks the depth of your sin. It masks the depth of your sin. Verses 10 and 11 are about what defiles. The question of what defiles. Eating, the Pharisees thought it was external. Eating with ceremonially unclean hands um, defiles you. This, you'll put food in your mouth and it defiles you. What goes in defiles you. Jesus says, uh-uh-uh. It's not external. Your problem with defilement, being out of step with God, is not external. It's internal. Your chief problem is internal. And then he says, it's not what you put in your mouth. It's what comes out of your mouth. What comes out of your mouth comes out of your heart. And here they are. And he lists the Ten Commandments. Murder, adultery, in the order. Not all of them, but the ones he lists are in order. Murder, adultery, theft, false testimony, slander. This is the problem. Your problem is deeper than what you put into your mouth because that's just eliminated. Your problem is as deep as your heart is. Rules lie on the surface and they obscure the depth of the problem. I, uh, uh, in, in the time that I have been here, I have had the privilege of attending and speaking at a number of funerals in this building. We've not hosted one in this beautifully refreshed auditorium, but um, this is the way uh, things work. I'm very familiar with what funeral homes want to do. On the day of the funeral, they want to get here very early and they want to come in and set up. And especially if the casket is going to be open, they have very specific requirements. They want the shades pulled. We put the casket in the back, they want the shades pulled behind them so there's little natural light and some of you remember those globes that we had used to hang from the ceiling. Um, I, they, their great preference was if I would climb up on a ladder and loosen the bulb in one of the globes, the one right over the casket, so that it didn't shine uh, that light. Because they, brought on, uh, they bring on stands beautiful pink-colored bulbs that they put over the casket because when you're laying there dead... They want pink light to shine on you to obscure the fact that what? You're dead. They've ironed your clothes. They've put makeup on your face. They bring in soft pink lights so that you look less dead than you actually are. It's a kindness. Death is sad. It's difficult. It's a kindness that, that you look less dead than you actually are but it doesn't make you less dead than you actually are. Reducing your relationship with God to rule-keeping always makes you look less dead than you are. It hides the fact that you don't need more rules 
It hides the fact that, you, that your problem is you just need to follow your rules more. It hides the fact that you need a savior. Rule keeping is about being your own savior. And Jesus says you have a problem from which you cannot extricate yourself. If your house is on fire, call 911 and the fire department will come because you do not have it within you to put those flames out. If you're having a stroke, call the ambulance because the ambulance will come. They will help you. You do not have it within you to solve your, your stroke problem. Jesus says your spiritual condition is so bad, you have to have a savior. And the good news is we have one and he's all sufficient. The only way that you're going to solve, your problem is so bad that the only way you're going to solve your problems is if somebody comes and lives the perfect life you should have lived and dies on the cross, a death for you. Someone to pay the penalty that you owe God. Someone to be your sin bearer. And that's what the Lord Jesus has done for us. Dying on the cross for the sin, our sins, rising again, giving life and forgiveness to all who will receive it by faith. Once that truth settles deep down into your heart and you meditate on the beauty of what Jesus has done and who he is, it will transform you. People, with, uh, people who meditate on the beauty of the Lord Jesus lead beautiful lives. And they have not done so by rule-keeping. They live beautiful lives by worship admiration of our great Savior who offered himself for us. These poor Pharisees came all this way down from Jerusalem. They want to have a debate with Jesus about hand-washing. They had rules about methods and techniques and the temperature of the water and the time that you had to spend, ceremony. They want to have debates about, with Jesus about what's the best way to do this. They didn't know the half of the problems that they had. Jesus was kind enough to tell them, the Pharisees didn't listen. Matthew's question for you is, will you? Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come before you this morning and uh, we confess to you, Lord, that there's a, a part of us that thinks that it would be easier if you had just given us rules to follow. That if, 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 if a relationship with you were more like the IRS, it would, be, it would be easy. We could get our stamps, we could get our approvals, we could get our, uh, our forms filled out, we could submit them, and then, then we'd be good. Lord, there's, there's part of us that wants to reduce our relationship with you to the rules. And, and yet we recognize from this passage that that is a self-deceptive, self-deceptive exercise. Lord, I am grateful to you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who comes with his authority and calls all people to turn and trust in him. He who died for our sins and rose again. Lord, stun us, we pray, with the beauty of what Jesus has done, that we might live beautiful lives. We who have a beautiful and magnificent Savior. It's in his name that we pray these things together, saying... Amen.